Welcome to Reading Rooney, an exercise in collaborative scholarship. On this podcast, you will hear from a variety of book lovers, including English literary scholars, graduate students, and general readers, as we openly discuss, celebrate, and critique the work of author Sally Rooney. I'm your host, Christina Marcucci, and wherever you are, thank you for being here. Today, I am joined by Valentina Puentes Ardila. They live in the countryside of Quebec with their partner Sean and their cat Jean-Paul Riopel. They are a podcast host, video essayist, and currently working on transforming the anarchist FAQ into an audiobook. In this episode, Valentina and I dive into topics of sex, sadomasochism, and power dynamics in Beautiful World and Normal People, with a particular emphasis on how the personal is political. We think through how broader structures of patriarchy, socioeconomic class, and labor influence how we have sex and what we want during sex. Here's our conversation. So when you first expressed interest in this project, you just seemed so excited, naturally. I mean, Sally Rooney's amazing. I guess my first broad question is just like, what excites you so much about her work? It's the relatability. I would have to say that it's the characters, it's the way that they interact with each other. It's the particular questions that they ask each other. Like there's there's certain questions that Eileen asks Simon that I'm like, wow, I've definitely asked that before. And it's a way that she explores like class and relationships. Um, that's very exciting to me. Okay, sweet. You also brought up the theme of miscommunication. Could you speak a little bit more to that and maybe draw us to some specific examples that come to mind? Yeah, for sure. So when I wrote Miscommunication, I I think I was thinking mainly about normal people. Um, Their entire relationship is just so obviously one big miscommunication, but they love each other so passionately, so dearly. They care about each other. They're good friends, and yet they don't just come out and say what they need to say. I don't know. It's a very interesting device that Sally Rooney uses in Normal People and in Beautiful World, Where Are You as well. Yeah, I do think that there's a lot of miscommunication in normal people. I would also say just that's like a through line of a lot of, of most of her novels. How would you rank her books? Like what from like the one you like the most to the one you like the least? Oh my god, that's a tough question. I I think Beautiful World Where Are You Normal People would have a close tie for first, but I think I'm going to go with Normal People as first place just because I've reread it like four times and every single time it is stellar um I've reread Beautiful World Where Are You Twice and it was just as good uh Conversations with Friends I read it once um I didn't really relate to it that much so I think I would have to put it as the third position you also brought up the theme of feminism which is surprisingly a theme that not again like not a lot of people checked off on the list it's so broad and I, so I just want to ask you, where do you see themes of feminism emerge in Rooney's work or even like forms of feminist storytelling? Like what, why did you check that off as a theme? Rooney writes about the, the female experience, the female condition, just the way that the characters express their concerns. For example, Beautiful World, Where Are You being the book I recently read, Eileen talks about how she always imagined her life as being a mom, just something that happens to her having children. And then... I mean, like, it's kind of a spoiler, but she does end up getting married and being pregnant, right? And it's something that she never imagined for herself. And I think I I chose feminism because we have these ideas of how our lives as uh, women identifying people are going to be like. And then they they kind of change and they evolve. Yeah, so I think that's why I chose it. I do think that in terms of, like, her storytelling 
or the way that she develops female characters, they're very complex. They're not perfect characters. And I think that that is part of kind of showing that, I, I don't know, like she's not trying to give this perfect vision of what it means to be a woman in the contemporary moment. They are very messy, they're confused, they're struggling with their sense of self, with their sen a sense of shame as well. That brings to mind specifically for me, Francis's experience with endometriosis and also Marianne's, and I would say, I think maybe it's Eileen or Alice, all of them. I think yeah. all, like a lot of her female characters have like masochistic desires that they're like somewhat ashamed of. Definitely. I don't know. I think that is a way of, maybe not, it's not overtly feminist, but I do think it's a way of writing female characters, female identifying characters as very complex. Absolutely. I've been thinking about this and I, I spoke to my partner about it, about Sally's characters and we were we were saying that if Sally were to write very flat one-dimensional characters let's say like a like a woman that's you know just very good and very I don't know perfect you know has no flaws it would fall very flat and it wouldn't be telling of like how reality is like and how people are just so complex you know like and so yeah I, I completely agree with what you're saying is there any one of her female characters or anyone for characters just generally that you found to be kind of the most relatable? I would have to go with Marianne and Eileen. Eileen because she's really funny as a character. For example, there's this one scene where they're at Alice's house and then they're about to have sex, Eileen and Simon, and then Eileen is just asking all of these very private questions, I feel like. And they're questions that I feel like if she doesn't hear what she wants to hear, she's going to be deeply upset about it, you know, because they're very private questions, you know? And I just feel like these are the types of questions that I've certainly asked my partners before. I've certainly gotten upset over their answers, um, and it's very messy, and I don't know how else to explain it, but it was very relatable. As for Marianne, the way in which she's very, not a lonely figure, or maybe yes, a lonely figure. She is lonely. I think she's yeah. quite alienated. Yeah. I felt I related to that just because I don't have like the biggest circle of friends or anything but the two friends that I have uh, they are very close to me um, but in that way I felt very close with Marianne and also to go into like her masochistic tendencies I just feel like it's tendencies that are often not talked about especially in female friendships like how do you navigate like those wants and desires and like sexual relationships and I don't think I've ever talked about any of my friends about that um, but it's certainly desires that a lot of people have and it's also tendencies that people like you said they, they have a lot of shame about because they don't know how to navigate them I think in that way I kind of related with Marianne yeah that's so true so a lot of critics have critiqued normal people for having like a sex negative portrayal of BDSM because Marianne's desire for masochism is basically directly linked to her like familial abuse yeah. so then it's seen as like pathological instead of an active choice that she's making. What do you what do you think about that? Because on the one hand, I do think that there's like, did you watch the CBC Gems show? Yeah. Yeah, and there's like this cross cut to like Marianne having sex with I think it was Jamie, and then also it was like cross cutting to her a scene of her being abused by her brother. So it's very much establishing the cause of her desire is just kind of because of her abuse. I don't know. I do think that the book kind of makes that claim. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, like, it's obvious that she has those tendencies, 
because of the way that she was brought up at home. Um, so I think it's something that's very familiar to her and it's something that she's comfortable with because she knows how to navigate that. At the same time, I think she truly understands that she's not putting boundaries with her partners in these masochistic encounters. And, and at the same time, I do want to say that even though it might be a sex negative way of of describing Marianne's encounters with her boyfriends or her partners. She is again like what 17, 18? She's incredibly young. She doesn't have friends to talk about these ways of being like with her partners, you know? She doesn't know exactly like how to how to deal with it. So I think that's- I, I would just be defending Marianne for that. And that's just another reflection of like Sally Rooney writing these very realistic female characters. Like, no, Marianne is not this pillar of what it means to have a healthy sexual relationship. Like, no, and I think the reality is that young women do often have kind of toxic relationships with their first intimate partners. I think that's not like unrealistic. Not to say that her relationship with Connell is toxic, I don't think it is, but definitely there's something to be said about the fact that both Jamie and Lucas are not only sadistic in the bedroom, they're yeah. just abusive period yeah. so there is something to be said about that um i don't i don't know like i there's just been so much talk about the portrayal of bdsm across rooney's work and i don't think there are any clear answers other than the fact that maybe larger structures of patriarchy do bear down on our sexual desires and i think that's very real i don't think those two things are like mutually exclusive Absolutely. I think, especially in Beautiful World, where are you? Eileen is very conscious of the way that the patriarchy kind of touches on her sex life because she, she tells uh, Simon multiple times, it's kind of it's kind of sexist the way that you want to interact with me. And, and I agree that it's kind of sexist, but it's still kind of sexy and it turns me on. So she's very aware of that. Yeah. Um, but she still likes That's it. That's a good know? example. Yeah. I forgot about that. But now that you're reminding me, yeah, it's so, so true. Like, I don't think that that sexism transcends beyond the bedroom. No. And in that way, I think that it's much more safe and like contained and respectful than Marianne's relationship with Lucas and Jamie, which is just Absolutely. overall like completely toxic and completely abusive. So it's very different. But yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. That's a really good Good example. Is there anything else you wanted to add on this topic that we haven't covered? I think I think what I do want to say is uh, between Eileen and Simon, Eileen always wants to play this very shy, you know, very little girl kind of position, and Simon very much feeds into that, you know, by calling her a good girl and all, all sorts of things. I don't think that happens between Marianne and Connell, where, I mean, maybe maybe Connell does call Marianne a good girl, but I think. It's a different, I don't know if it's exactly BDSM, but it's certainly one aspect of it that's described with Eileen and Simon versus Marianne and Connell. But I don't think Marianne and Connell's relationship was very rough because I remember Marianne wanting Connell to hit her and he said, absolutely not, I'm not into that. Um, so I think it's just two different dynamics of maybe B BDSM. Like Rooney's interested in exploring different degrees of BDSM and like different dynamics in the way like that I think these power dynamics are operating in multiple of these characters like sex lives but to very very different degrees Absolutely. so like eileen and simon i would say is like pretty mild but very then mild. like we get but then we get to like marianne and her two you know partners and that's i would not even call that like proper practice to be honest no. i think it's like just a misunderstanding no a misunderstanding yeah. of it and yeah yeah 
yeah let's talk a little bit about how so rooney often pairs people from different socioeconomic classes in romantic relationships we have felix and alice marianne and connell francis and nick why do you think she might do this so consistently across all three of her novels like what does this reveal about the role of class and power in romantic and sexual relationships. I've been thinking a lot about this and it's only this morning that I think I came to the conclusion that if Sally were to write characters of the same background uh, consistently the way she does uh, um, across all three of her novels, I don't know, I might not find it as interesting or as relatable versus when she's writing characters of different like socioeconomic backgrounds. It's more relatable, it's more real, it's it just happens more. What do you make of the fact that, with the exception of Francis and Nick, that it's always the woman that is in a privileged socioeconomic position? I feel like that's almost like a role reversal in what we see in a lot of narratives. I really don't know what to make of it. I feel like if the woman was the one struggling, it would be a, like a different power play, you know? Because I just, the things that each person brings to the relationship would be different, would feel different. So I feel like what making the women characters being the ones from more privileged backgrounds, or not even privileged backgrounds, just the ones making more money, I feel like it changes the power dynamic in the relationship, uh, making the woman kind of seem like she has more power, more control maybe. Do you think that because, like in the public sphere, because it's these women that have more financial or cultural influence, that that makes it less uncomfortable for us to read about these BDSM relationships. Because like outside yes. in the real world, these women are not bound or kind of beholden to these men and for any financial security or anything. Like they're there because they want to be there and because they genuinely enjoy that kind of sex. Yeah. I think I think you're explaining it like perfectly because yeah, if if it were the opposite, like if the men were the ones like making more money and being the ones more financially secure. Um, I feel like the majority of Sally Rooney's readers are women. I just feel like it makes it more relatable to be reading about a woman, you know, who's financially secure and who's the one that's financially secure in the relationship versus if I were to be reading about, you know, a, the man in the relationship having more money. I don't know. I wouldn't be as attractive to that, I think. Yeah, it's it, it changes the entire dynamic. Absolutely. And I think that just gets to this whole idea that the sphere of sexual intimacy cannot be completely disconnected from like the rest of the world or from like the political realm. Like, I think that there's this really big tendency in like sex positive discourse, which I totally support, by the way. I'm not like, <laughs> like anti-sex positivity, but I do think that there's this like big big discourse of like what you do inside the bedroom has nothing to do with who you are outside the bedroom and like that might be true sure but I do think there's something to be said about the fact that like we'd be kind of uncomfortable as readers if the men were like super rich and the women didn't have a lot of money but then they were also being kind of like sadistic to them in the bedroom like I you know what I mean yeah it just would not make for a good story and I think you're you're putting it into the perfect words because when I was reading Beautiful World, Where Are You? I noticed that first of all, there's a lot of sex scenes, which is fine. Um, but throughout- So most, many, like every <laughs> second chapter. I know, I, at least yeah. six, you know, like I stopped counting after. But yeah. uh, throughout many of these sex scenes, the characters would be talking about the money that they're making. For example, I don't know if it was before or after Alice and Felix like had sex, um, but Felix says like, hey, I've been curious, like, you say you're a millionaire, you know, like, what do you mean? 
you know it's like either directly before sex or directly after sex so you know it's like it's these types of thoughts that like are constantly pervading the characters you know like just because you're having sex or you're in the bedroom doesn't mean you stop thinking about like your your life outside of it you know and the same goes for Alice uh, sorry for Eileen and Simon like they're discussing their jobs and they're discussing the money they'll be making if they were to be married or that kind of conversation and that that was really striking you know like it was very obvious because it was constant you know like it wasn't just one time where the characters had sex and then they talked about like their their financial positions you know it was like at least three or four sex scenes where this happened yeah and I think it's actually like very bold it's a very bold way of writing sex scenes it's not something that we see a lot where it's like a mix of like something that's like a scene that's supposed to be like quite sexy mixed with these very real external concerns and it's I don't think we see that a lot it and is I think bold. it's very like purposeful no absolutely and you were saying that and I remembered this interview that I watched Rooney it was in September of 2021 and she was saying in the interview that she doesn't write sex scenes without purpose she always does it to show something about the character about their mindset or just even like like you said like their financial positions or for example their relationships with their partners like whether it's toxic or not and just hearing her say that in the interview made it so clear why are these sex scenes so carefully crafted like they're just written very very well and it's because yeah. of that it's because she puts so much purpose into it you know and there's not a sex scene that goes without having some other purpose i feel like that is so interesting i didn't know that she i, I haven't seen that interview maybe you could send it to me because that is really fascinating and i think it, it makes the those scenes feel more real after I watched that interview, when I reread Normal People and when I reread Beautiful World, Where Are You? It just, it made the sex scenes feel more clear and I knew what I what to look for when look, like reading those sex scenes. I think she's very invested, Rooney is very invested in exploring power dynamics across many, many different domains. Yeah. In sex, in socioeconomic positions, through gender, through intellectual elitism. I think that it's it's like a huge theme and a huge concern of hers in her writing. I completely agree. And I was reading this article where it said that even though many of her characters are from the working class or have like less privileged parents, they're all very intellectual. They are all very well read. And I think that's very interesting because it's a position that many people are in where they're very well educated. They've gone to university. Ha they have their bachelors and yet they didn't come and they came from working class conditions you know and also if I can bring in kind of a new topic they have these educations right but they might not be satisfied with the jobs that they're at or like their jobs might be seen as like privileged or like like a what kind of like a fancy job but ultimately like they're not exactly happy with their jobs or they feel like they're not bringing meaning to the world like Simon who has, he's like a politician, but he says that his job is not important and that he's constantly in an office and in meetings and that he could be doing like other things. But I think to bring back to, to like the working class backgrounds, I think Simon grew up kind of privileged. I think he grew up in a big home. So that might not be the best example. I think it is a good example because he's still, so he's involved in politics in some way. Like it's not clear exactly what he does, no. but it's reiterated many times that he, has a career in politics but feels like he's not actually making any impact 
Yeah. And I think you bring, you do bring up a really important theme of like these characters really grappling with a sense of meaning and how they want their professional lives and their careers to be meaningful, but it always falls flat. And we see like even a character like Alice, who's so fascinating, right? Like she's so famous. She writes these books that millions of people are reading, not unlike Sally Rooney, right? And she's still, she has a breakdown. Beautiful World is being made No, no, no. I mean, Alice's, one of Alice's novels oh, her, okay. is being turned into Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, she's so famous, right? She has this huge influence. She's still not happy. Yeah. And this is so fatalistic, and it's so depressing. And Like, I don't mean it to sound this way, but I do think that, in a way, it can be read in the sense, ultimately, our actions are, like, not going to make that big of a difference. Yeah. I don't know if that's what Rooney is trying to say, but like I just had this other fantastic interview where the interviewee was talking about how there's so much about like talking about action and wanting to do something meaningful, but it ends there. Like it doesn't go beyond the realm of just chatting about it. And like quite literally, we see Alice like writing books, right? That's through words. But does that actually translate into any action? I don't know. There's like this intense search for meaning and like it's a huge preoccupation, but then it just continues to fall flat for these characters. That's like the perfect way of explaining all of the character situations, except for maybe Felix, who knows that he's not doing anything and who's not trying to do anything. Yeah, there's a sense of like stasis or feeling like they can't move, they can't mobilize, even though they have all these good intentions that like they just can't mobilize. Yeah. Um just to I just remembered what you said. You were talking about how even though they want to be doing things, uh, they want to be mobilizing, it never goes beyond words and that it all sounds very fatalistic, but I think the point of beautiful world where are you is that despite all of these one like all of these wants, that ultimately like no matter what you do, it's really not going to matter you might as well try your best but ultimately I think not to focus on yourself I don't want to say that but ultimately let like trying to live your best life is possibly the best you can do and maybe that's a misunderstanding of beautiful world where are you but at one point if I can read the clip, yeah I highlighted way too many things okay so it's uh the beginning of chapter 12 and eileen is writing to alice and she says maybe we're just born to love and worry about the people we know and to go on loving and worrying even when there are more important things we should be doing and if that means the human species is going to die out isn't it in a way a nice reason to die out the nicest reason you can imagine because when we should have been reorganizing the distribution of the world's resources and transitioning collectively to a sustainable economic model we were worrying about sex and friendship instead because we loved each other too much and found each other too interesting. And I love that about humanity. And in fact, it's the very reason I root for us to survive because we are so stupid about each other. Oh, I get goosebumps when I read that passage. It's so good. I've highlighted it, I don't know how many times and I even wrote like favorite quote. Um, and I don't really know how to explain why I love that quote so much. I don't know, what about you? I think it's because I can't speak for everybody, but I have this tendency to feel like I need to take the weight of the world on my shoulders, which is so like, uh, I don't know, like uh, as if I have any real meaningful impact or that like I alone can do something to help the world. Like, no, I'm one person, (laughs) obviously not. And, but I do have this maybe unrealistic or overzealous tendency to feel like I need to like do everything right all the time to be a more conscientious person and to like navigate the world in a more um, ethical way. 
So I think that this passage, it just kind of like takes off some of that weight where it's like you're one person. At the end of the day, like you have one life. Try your best, still continue to be conscientious. Yeah. Make decisions that will, you know, ultimately benefit or not actively harm the greater good or the environment or the ecosystem. But also like be a human. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your life in the way that you can, and I think that's also really important too. So it just takes away some of that weight for me. I think Ale I think in one email Eileen was being very pessimistic, talking about how even even aesthetics, even art might not really matter. Uh, because ultimately the world, the world is dying, like everything is going off the rails. But then Alice countered that in one of her emails saying, kind of, kind of the essence of this quote that we just read, um, saying that ultimately things do matter even if the world is dying and we should do our best to enjoy it. And I feel yeah. like that's a very comforting thing to read especially yeah. right now. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to read this book nihilistically and I don't even, like, I don't even want to, like, promote this, like, nihilistic undertone in this podcast. Like, that's not no. the point of it. But I think it's more just coming to terms with the fact that, like, we are all going to die. And, like, yeah, that sounds really harsh, but, like, it's a fact. We are going to die. And so it's kind of an acceptance of that and finding comfort in the fact that, like, that's just part of being a human. And I think there's something very freeing about acknowledging that. Instead of letting it terrify you, let it, like, Free liberate you. you. Is there anything that we haven't covered today? I've really, I'm really enjoying our conversation. So if there's anything, any other passages you wanted to bring up, please feel free to do so. I have just too many passages, but one thing that I really loved reading about was mainly Felix's work and his relationship to his work. And it's, it was only made, like I read a couple of articles before rereading Beautiful World, Where Are You? And it, this one article, it was saying how there's a scene that juxtaposes Felix working with Alice working, like doing her job as a novelist. And yeah. rereading that passage was just shocking because, you know, Felix is, is out there like doing hard work. Um, he hates his job. He's completely alienated from it. He's also physically wounded from his job. Like he constantly has like cuts on his hands or like his hands go numb because of his job. And he's working just like crazy hard, you know. And then you have Alice who's like on the phone with her, with her publisher or like writing an email, you know, and like the disparity of their money is just insane and I think there's something to be said about about like our working conditions and the way that we relate to them today because we talked about it earlier but even even Alice is kind of like alienated from her work you know she's not entirely happy and she's made something concrete you know like she's put something like objectively out there in the world that comes from her and that other people will enjoy and even still she's unhappy so I just thought that was a really interesting thing for Sally Rooney to to explore. Totally. And a lot of other interviewees have brought up this very example of like the disparity between Alice and Felix and how they use their bodies differently to produce labor and yeah, I do think I do think it's really interesting and it's just this other way that like Rooney is combining characters from two very different socioeconomic backgrounds into one relationship that ends up being very awkward. <laughs> Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, very awkward. Uh, but but interesting. Like these two characters should not mesh, but somehow they do. Yeah. In an odd way. In a very uh, opposing yeah. way. Uh there's this yeah. one passage where Felix is saying that he was at work 
and he was kind of miserable but he started thinking about Alice and how much he likes her and then he was thinking about how the same hands that he uses to labor are the same hands that get to touch her her body like her beautiful body yeah and I thought that was that was just very um it was a very interesting passage and, yeah, it's um, true. I highlighted I highlighted that. I've spoken about that exact passage like multiple times with other people before. So it's like something that stands out to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also just another example to bring back what we were talking about before, about how the public sphere trickles into the private sphere of intimacy yeah. and like sexual connection. Absolutely. Well, I will thank you then. This is like been so interesting for me. Thank you for your time and your insight. It's been really wonderful to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you for um, inviting me on this very exciting project. That was my conversation with Valentina Puentes Ardila. In the next episode, I am joined by Professor Shandeep Banerjee from McGill University to break down some of the basics of Marxist theory, historical materialism, and dialectics, concepts that are particularly important for understanding Rooney's work and writing process. Until then, thanks for listening, and happy reading.